Alrighty, well, we'll uh, go ahead and get into our Bible lesson here tonight. And, of course, we're uh, looking at the subject of developing your own personal Bible study. Developing your own personal Bible study. Last week, we kind of introduced the subject. And um, this week, we're going to continue with it. And we'll be looking at this <coughs> as the Lord leads. Uh, we'll probably be in this uh, for several weeks, though. There's definitely a lot of information on how to study the Bible for yourself so that you can get the most from the Word of God. And so we'll be continuing to look at this over the next several weeks. And so tonight we're going to be looking at uh, actually uh, digging into and developing the fourth point of last week's lesson. So <clears throat> in last week's lesson, the fourth point was guidelines uh, for correct Bible interpretation. And we've had uh, three things listed there, I believe it was, that are guidelines for correct, uh, correctly interpreting the Bible, some things that you should follow when you get into this book so that you are correctly uh, dividing the Word of God. There's a lot of things in the Bible that you make say what it's not intended to say if you do not understand who it was intended for or how it was intended and so forth. So understanding how to interpret the Word of God helps us to correctly interpret it. I know it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine, if you want to call it that, and I harp about these uh, social media preachers, uh, but a lot of their doctrine comes from not correctly interpreting the Word of God. They take a verse out of context and apply it in a way that it was never meant to be implied. And so we'll just be looking at some guidelines uh, for correctly interpreting uh, the Word of God. But before we get into the lesson, I want to take note of a few passages of Scripture. We looked at them last week and we want to look at them again this week that drive home the importance of every Christian, not just the pastor, not just the Sunday school teacher, not just the deacons, but every Christian knowing and understanding the Word of God. And so in, I've got the four verses there on your worksheet, and I've highlighted some key words in each verse. 2 Timothy 2.15, which is our theme verse for this study, says study, the first word there, study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now we encourage you regularly to be people who read the word of God and every Christian should read the word of God. But the Bible teaches us that we need to study. In other words, we need to do more than read. We need to understand what it is that we read. Whenever Philip was coming through the desert, the eunuch was reading, but he needed someone to help him understand what it was that he was reading. And so we need to study uh, uh, that we might understand. In John 5, 39, the verse says, uh, Search the Scriptures, dig in, see what's in there, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. In Acts 17, 11, one of my favorite verses, I quote it often, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Uh, I'll tell you what, we ought to be receptive to the teaching and preaching of God's word, uh, but we also need to search it for ourselves uh, to know and understand it. My dad told me once, 
a long time ago about uh, learning to do things. He said, you'll never really learn how to do it until you do it for yourself. You can watch people, you can read about it, but you'll never really learn until you do it for yourself. And such is true of the Word of God. You can listen to preaching and teaching over and over and over, but it'll never be concreted in your mind until you begin to search it for yourself. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 a familiar verse, but it has a powerful message. And I've, I've highlighted the words, all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. All of us have our favorite passages. All of us have books that we'd rather read over than others. Uh, uh, all of us get tongue twisted and, and fall asleep when we're reading the genealogies and wonder exactly why they're in there. But all Scripture is Profitable, and it was given to us uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So taking some time to learn how to study the Word of God, I think is very profitable. Let's go to Lord in prayer. We'll get into the study. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, it is good to be in your house. And Lord, I thank you for these folks that have come out, Lord, to hear the teaching of your word. Father, I thank you that we can fellowship together. I thank you, dear Lord, that we can share our burdens one with another. I thank you, Lord, that we can bring burdens of others, uh, Lord, who may not be here with us, whether they be friends or brothers or sisters in Christ or family members. And Lord, we can bring their needs. Uh, and Father, we will lift those needs up before you. And Lord, that you have united our hearts together in love. Uh, Lord, that we uh, honestly care for one another. Lord, we're burdened uh, by the needs of others. And Father, we're able to bring those needs before you. And Lord, as we uh, took the request tonight, Lord, multiple praises were shared. God answered this prayer. God answered that prayer. And Father, we thank you that we can come before you. And Lord, that you do hear and answer prayer. I pray that you be with us now as we look at your word and look at the subject of studying your word. I pray to Lord, that it'll help us. I pray, dear Lord, that it'll challenge us to get into your word, and, and Lord, it'll equip us to be able to fully understand and apply your word to our lives, I pray. Do be at the children's ministry downstairs, uh, the teens, and Lord, I pray you be with them. Bless those that are teaching and working with them, and Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, those of you who uh, do go to FBI with us, you know that Brother Yates uh, it uses a lot of uh, props, I guess you would say. He has a lot of books and different things he'll hold up and show you. And so if you see me tonight, you're like, Pastor John's copying Brother Yates. I'm just going to own it. Yep, I am. I like the way that he does that. It helps me to learn. And I'm like, I've learned something. I'm going to start it, uh, using this more in my teaching. So, yeah, I'll just own that all the way. I'm copying Brother Yates, all right? Uh, but it does help me when I'm listening to the classes. And so I felt if it helps me when I'm listening to him, it might help y'all when you're listening to me. So, Anyway, uh, tonight we're going to look at this subject of guidelines for correct Bible interpretation. The first thing we mentioned under this point in last week's lesson was that when we interpret the Bible, it is in our best interest to interpret it literally, to interpret it literally. So we interpret literally. We stated that this is believing that the Bible says what it means and it means what it says. It means that we take the passage that we're reading at face value. We interpret the scripture based on what we can clearly see in the passage and of course in comparison with other passages. Uh, when we talked about this, we talked about the golden rule of Bible interpretation, and that is, if the plain sense makes common sense, uh, seek no other sense, lest it result uh, 
in nonsense. Just look at the Word of God. If what it says makes sense, then that's what it means. It says what it means. And interpreting the Bible that way protects us from so much false doctrine because false doctrine, as we looked at last week, comes from people taking Scripture and making it say something other than what it clearly says. And so we interpret literally. However, and this is where we want to dig into this a little bit deeper tonight, there are some exceptions within literal interpretation that we need to consider if we're going to understand the Word of God. We say we want to interpret the Bible literally, but at the same time we need to understand that there are some exceptions to literal translation that we need to understand or else when we get into the Word of God we'll once again find ourselves making nonsense of the Word of God. So I have listed five variations. Five variations, and they're there on your worksheet. We'll be going over each of them. Each of these variations can be found in common communication. In other words, Brother Ted, when you and I are talking, these variations will come up. When I'm sitting in a classroom learning from a teacher, these variations will come up. If I'm reading a newspaper, these variations will come up. They are common variations of language, but we need to understand them and understand that they are in Scripture, so when we interpret Scripture, we'll interpret it correctly. The first thing that we see, and I'm going to try to move quickly, uh, as quickly as I can on this because, boy, I'm telling you, there's a lot to cover. I had so much more I wanted to add to the lesson, and I'm like, I'm going to be lucky if I get this lesson done tonight. I but uh, there's several things to look at here. So the first thing, the first variation of communication that we see in common conversation as well as in the Word of God is idioms. Uh, an idiom, I have the description there for you, is a widely used saying or expression that contains a figurative meaning that is different from the literal meaning. Example, if I was to call Brother Warren and say, Brother Warren, how are you doing today? And Brother Warren said, I'm a little under the weather. Well, I understand that he does not mean he's standing outside in the rain. He means that he's not feeling well. Although that's not what he said. He said he was under the weather, which literally would mean uh, that either he was being baked by the sun or he was getting rained on. But that's not what he meant. He used an idiom that lets me know he's not feeling well. It's common communication, easily understood. We do this all the time and we find these in the Word of God as well. Uh, next we find symbols, symbols, letter B. A symbol is something that stands for or suggests something else. It represents something beyond the literal meaning. An example of this can be found in Jeremiah 23 and verse number 29 where God says, Is not my word like as a fire and, my, and, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Is not my word like a fire? Is not my word like a hammer? These are symbols. We know that this book isn't a hammer. We know that it isn't literally a fire. But yet it has the same effect on our hearts as a fire or a hammer. So it's a symbol, and we find these uh, in common language. A third one that we often find uh, is allegories. Allegories. An allegory is a figurative description of real facts. A figurative description of real facts. An example of that is John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. I have a copy of it here. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. It's probably the best known allegory in English language. 
And if, if I don't accomplish anything else in my time here, I'm going to make readers out of y'all. I tell you, I'm going to. Um, but if you never read Pilgrim's Progress, you ought to read Pilgrim's Progress. Now, the original version here is written in Old English, and I admit I've never read the original volume all the way through. I normally give up and go to the modern English version to uh, finish it up, but you can buy this in modern English. You can read it here in the uh, Old English. Uh, there's also a, a version called Little Pilgrim's Progress uh, that's written in modern English. Uh, for children, and I've read that book through I don't know how many times when I was a kid over and over and over, uh, but the Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. And all through this book, uh, John Bunyan takes, and he uses, um, he, he creates a community, and he has a character that's traveling, and he uses it to illustrate salvation and eternal life. And so it's an allegory. It's not literal, but it tr teaches a, a literal Meaning, And so that's an allegory, and we will find those in the Word of God. Uh, we will find those in common language. And some of these we'll be diving into more as we go through these studies and giving you examples from the Word of God uh, of these. Uh, we also commonly use figures of speech. Figures of speech. A figure of speech is an intentional deviation from a literal statement to emphasize, clarify, or enhance uh, the communication. For example, if somebody says, I completely lost my head, we don't think that they were decapitated. No, we understand this is a figure of speech that means they acted without thinking. And so it's a figure of speech. We find these in daily communication. We find these in the Word of God. The last variation that we see in literal interpretation is that of poetic expression. In other words, adding significance to the context uh, through rhythm, sequence, imagery, etc. The book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon are all books that use poetic expression and there's poetry found in many other books in the Word of God where we'll find poetry used to drive home a truth. All of this is through the Word of God. And so whenever we say we interpret the Bible literally, we understand that these variations of speech exist in the Word of God. So when I say that I'm interpreting the Bible literally, that does not mean that I cannot interpret these things the way that they're clearly being used, that I can understand them. But I also understand that I need not take a clear reading and try to make it into an allegory or a symbol or, or something like that if it's not. And so we see that these exist in the Word of God. The secret to correctly interpreting these variations in language is found when we recognize that we use these every day in our speech. And when we recognize that, then when we look in the Word of God, instead of trying to make every verse an allegory or a symbol or a type, Whenever there's a symbol or a type there, we see it. Whenever there's not, we see that as well. And it helps us to readily understand the Word of God. Now, do not think at all that I'm saying that there's not deeper truths in the Word of God because you can dig in a passage over and over and over and you will find truths that you never found before. They're laying right there on the surface. Uh, we just need the Holy Spirit to help us to see them. But they... The difference in the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of the Word of God to us and taking a verse and twisting it into something it's not is totally different. And so that's what we're talking about this evening. Now, <clears throat> whenever we read the Word of God, as I've said, we will find these 
these variations. And some examples we can look at is in the parable of the wheat and tares. We've been looking at the parables. And in the parable of the wheat and tares, it's very obvious that the Lord is talking about the unconverted among the believers. Very obvious that he's using the wheat and the tares as a symbol to represent the unconverted among the believers. And so we can see very easily that this is a symbol in the Word of God. The Bible refers to people as dogs. Certain people have been referred to as dogs. That does not mean that they are literally dogs. But instead, that means uh, that dogs have common identifiable characteristics. And this person is demonstrating uh, the characteristics that should belong to a dog. The symbol is clearly seen. The Bible uh, compares all people to all kinds of animals. Dogs, wolves, swine, foxes, sheep. In all of these examples, the symbolism is clear. The characteristics of the animal is being seen in the actions of of the person. So, in, so we need to keep these things in mind when we uh, come to the scripture and we're interpreting it literally. Use common language and common language practices when you interpret scripture. In addition to interpreting literally, we bring great clarity to understanding the word of God when we interpret it culturally. Culturally. Uh, that is your uh, second point there. We interpret culturally. Now, I have a book here, it's it's the one I brought out by accident last week, uh, Manners and Customs uh, of the Bible. This is a book that's uh, devoted to telling us how they lived and what their customs were and what was common for them to do when they got up, when they went to bed, how long they worked, uh, what type of clothes they wore, uh, what kind of food they ate. Manners and Customs of the Bible. This book is devoted to helping us understand that. This book here is... uh, Uh, all the trades and occupations of the Bible. So any trade or occupation that was in the Bible, it's listed here in this book and explained. And these books give us understanding of the culture. Uh, It helps us to understand the, the type of life that the people lived during the time that the Bible was written. This makes a big difference. There are things that I experienced in West Virginia that when I tell y'all about it, you just let them look at me like, huh? Because you never experienced it. There's things that when I came here, people would tell me about, I'd say, huh? But now that I've lived here for a while, I know what you're talking about. And this is within the same nation. And, and you know that these differences exist. Matter of fact, you can go over to Crozet and find things that are completely different from right here. I mean, it's, it's just people are different everywhere you go. And where we live and the, the things we do, the habits we have, affect the way we communicate. So the Bible is inspired, absolutely the inspired Word of God. But God inspired men to write in their own personality and in their own culture, so it's all throughout the Word of God. So if I'm going to understand the Word of God, I need to understand the culture of the people who wrote and lived during the time of the Word of God. Uh, Several aspects to understanding culture found in the Bible. First, we consider uh, the geography of the Bible. And Lord willing, we may dig into this a little bit deeper. There's a lot of good things we can find here. But uh, there's a book here, Nelson's complete book of 
uh, Bible maps and charts and just a book clear full of maps that shows you uh, all you need to know about the geography of the land. You say, well, why would, uh, why, why would geography be important? Well, it lets us know where the mountains are, where the rivers are, where the plains, where the cities are. It helps us to understand how far... Uh, 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 Jesus would have had to travel. When they say they went from this city to this city, now we have an idea of how many miles it was. We understand the time frame. It puts everything into perfect picture. So when we read the passage, the passage makes sense. And now we can see it uh, clearly. Uh, I could tell you about, uh, you know, when I lived back at home with my dad in West Virginia, and I could say we lived on No Road, and uh, it was a mile from the house that we lived in uh, to the little store, uh, out at the end of the road, and um, it was all downhill from my house to the store. So I'd get on my bicycle, I'd coast all the way out to the store and get myself a Mountain Dew, but then I had to pedal all the way back home. Now, you have just drew a picture in your mind of that exact scenario, but I bet you it don't look like no road. It probably matches a similar situation that you experienced in your life a house you lived in, a store you rode a bicycle to, and you've tweaked it to fit my story, but it's really not my story. Whenever we understand the geography of the Word of God, now we can see it accurately instead of fitting it to our own imagination. Not only do we understand the geography, but we need to understand the climate. Understand the climate, how hot it was, how cold it was, uh, the seasons. Understanding the climate helps us understand the crops they could raise. Uh, understand uh, the animals. Uh, understand how farming was done, um, what the animals were used for. Uh, uh, it'll shed a great deal of light in understanding the significance of many passages of Scripture. Uh, when we understand the climate, it'll uh, help us understand why uh, in the Old Testament we read of them digging wells and then having wars over whales. Well, if we understand the climate, we'll understand the value of those whales and why they were important. Uh, it'll also help us to understand, uh, like when Rachel brought the sheep out to water and nobody was opening the well for it. We'll understand why that took place. Well, we understand the climate, the significance in the story of the prodigal son, the significance of killing that fatted calf, or to help us understand the weight that was on a family when they sacrificed a spotless lamb. The, the deal of sacrifice that that was. Understanding the climate and how it affected things will help us to understand um, the passages of Scripture. Understanding the Bible culturally also involves some education concerning the customs of that day. Understanding the customs. The customs can be broken down into two categories. There's first the material culture. The material culture. Now that would have to do with their tools, their housing, their weapons, their clothing, their utensils, understanding their material things in their customs. Uh, example, understanding the material culture helps us to understand the tools that Noah had available when he built the ark. You know what, there's a lot of people who will argue that Noah could have never built that ark because he didn't have metal tools. Well, if you understand the culture, you understand that Noah did have metal tools. Uh, had them long before he built the ark. They were well versed in using uh, hammers and chisels and uh, saws and these things long before he built the ark. They weren't, they weren't prehistoric. They were very well developed. And understanding culture helps us to understand that. Uh, understanding culture helps us to understand the story where the axe flew off the head of the off the handle and landed in the water and sank. And it helps us to understand what tools they were using then and, and better understand that story. Brother... Uh, uh, 
Boy, his name slips me. That's terrible that his name slips me. But anyway, he preaches for Brother Raider in January every year. Kenny Baldwin. Brother Kenny Baldwin preaches a tremendous message on the axe going into the river. And a lot of the subject of that message has to do with the axe and how the axe was made and where the axe came from. Things that aren't necessarily written in the Bible, but we understand them from understanding the culture. Uh, uh, when you read in the Bible about Peter waiting for his lunch on the rooftop. I mean, if you're used to air kind of houses, that's kind of a weird place to wait on your lunch. But when you understand the culture, now that story begins to make sense. And of course, I'm using stories that you are already familiar with uh, so that you can relate to them, but there's many more places that you can apply this in the Word of God. Um, uh, Ehud's dagger. Ehud's dagger. Uh, you've heard the story of Ehud. Uh, or, uh, Ehud was the king. And uh, the man came in said, I have a message from the Lord. He was left-handed. And he had a dagger that he had made. And you say, well, what does, why does the Bible point out that he was left-handed? Well, if you understand the culture, you understand that most men were right-handed and carried their dagger on their left side, so they would check the left side. But because he was left-handed, carried his dagger on the right side, never found the dagger. But then if you read in the passage, it says that the, the king was heavy, and when he thrust the dagger in, that the, that the fat closed in upon the dagger, and he was unable to remove it. Well, Joel, my son Joel makes knives, and he's intrigued with knives, and so he began to study the type of knife that, or dagger that would have been common in that day. What would have he had? How would have it been made? Then he took the dimensions, and Joel recreated the dagger. And according to everything that he studied about the culture and that time period and what was common, this is very likely the dagger that was used to kill the king. And when you see this, now it makes good sense why he couldn't pull it back out, don't it? I mean, it's just like, aha, uh -huh, I see now why it got stuck in there. And so understanding these things helps us understand the passages of Scripture much more clearly. Joel's also done a lot of study into the sword of Goliath. One of these days he might make it. Um, the, uh, the Bible, David said of the sword of Goliath that there was none other like it. That verse uh, prompted Joel to do some studying into it uh, and swords that were common in that day and he'd spent a lot of time studying and the Philistines had adopted a new type of sword that they were only giving their elite soldiers right about that time period. It's a wild looking thing. I mean, there's definitely none other like it and uh, so Joel's hoping to recreate that sword. But understanding culture helps us to understand these things and now that verse... When David said there's none other like it, makes a lot more sense. Uh, and so, uh, so many things. Uh, uh, we can uh, understand a very practical thing. When we understand the clothing styles that existed in that day, then when we read passages in the Word of God concerning our attire, it helps us to properly interpret them for our day because we understand they didn't wear what we wear. Whenever we try to make a dogmatic application of Scripture to our clothing style of our day, it really doesn't fit. But when we understand what they wore, then we can make an accurate application. So there's material culture, and then when we consider customs, we understand that there's also social culture. Now, this is their customs, practices, rites, ceremonies, religions, economics, and politics, and so forth and so on. This is their social culture. Uh, we learn how other religions infiltrated and corrupted the Jews. Uh, we learn why Jesus paid taxes to the Romans. Uh, we learn the significance of the widow's might and also the significance of the 30 pieces of silver that Judas uh, was paid. 
Uh, we understand uh, why Paul was brought before Caesar and spent that time on the ship and why Paul was on a ship when he was shipwrecked. All of this we understand when we understand their culture and their customs. Understanding the Bible culturally also involves a correct interpretation of history. The history that made up the Word of God. The timelines, the authors, and the political powers. Whenever we think of the Word of God, and we mentioned this last week, the timeline of the Bible, when the Bible was written over 1,500 years in places as far apart as Persia in the East and Rome in the West. When we understand that, it gives us a much clearer picture of this book that we hold. Uh, the various nationalities and backgrounds of the authors that wrote the Word of God. Uh, Moses and Daniel were statesmen. David, Solomon, and Hezekiah were kings. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua was a soldier. Ezra and Ezekiel were priests. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter and John were fishermen. Luke was a doctor and Paul was a scholar. Great variety of men. And when we understand that, it gives us better understanding of the passages of Scripture. Also, the, who was in power when this passage was written helps us to understand many of the applications that are in the passage. All these things add tremendous clarity to understanding the Word of God. Lastly, and to introduce next week's lesson, if we're going to understand the Bible, we need to interpret it grammatically. We need to interpret it grammatically. Now this is an endeavor, especially for somebody like me who still hasn't figured the English language out completely. But we need, if we're going to understand the Word of God, we need to be able to understand it Grammatically, there's a story told of a preacher. He was a he was a fisherman, and uh, spent a, spent his life on the water. And he's called to preach, and he got into the Word of God. And don't mistake the story. God can use unlearned men. He has for years, and it does shed light on why we need to understand what the Bible says. He read the passage of Scripture uh, about the talents, where the servant said, "I knew that thou wert an austere man," meaning he was a hard man. Well, this guy read that pastor pa passage. And he pronounced the word austere as oyster. And he preached a whole message on the master being an oyster man and made application to his life as a fisherman on the boat and preached a whole message. Now, whether or not the Lord was able to use the message, I don't know, but had he had a little better grammar, he may have interpreted the Scripture a little better. And so there's many reasons we can look at why we need to be able to interpret grammatically. Uh, two considerations when interpreting grammatically. Uh, first, uh, we need to understand the original language. The original language. Uh, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, that is the original language that most of the Old Testament was written in. Now it was written in Old Hebrew, just like there's Old English and Modern English. It was written in Old Hebrew, not Modern Hebrew. Uh, but most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And portions of Daniel and Ezra were written in Aramaic. Now you say, well, why is it that part of it was written in Aramaic? Well, this goes back to understanding the culture. You see, the Israelites were in Babylonian exile, and in Babylon, the language was Aramaic. And so now we understand why those portions of the Bible were originally written in Aramaic. So we need to consider original language, and then we need to consider correct interpretation of those original languages. And we do that with definition, context, and application. And because of the importance of understanding the grammar of the Word of God, uh, we'll probably spend the next couple of lessons uh, looking at how to find the correct grammar of the Word of God. We're going to be doing some word studies, looking at words in the Bible, 
Uh, I recommended to you last week the Strong's Concordance. Uh, I'll be printing out some pages from the Strong's Concordance and I'll be showing you uh, how we can go to the original Greek word and how they tie in with our Bible. And uh, a little bit heavy stuff, but you know as I prayed, and I said, Lord, what do I teach the Wednesday night crowd? They're faithful. They're always here. They've been coming for 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, I can teach them David and Goliath, but they could teach it to me. What do I teach them? And the Lord said, they don't need milk, they need meat. The Lord directed me to begin to, 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 begin to look into this and help, help us understand how to dig into the Word of God, how to dig in deeper and how to uncover these truths. And so I imagine several of you here could probably teach me some things on how to study the Word of God. Uh, but hopefully as we go through this, uh, we'll all be challenged to dig in a little bit deeper and we'll dig into the Word of God and find some of the, some of the truths. They're not hidden truths, but they're things that need to be uncovered. The Lord will help us uh, to be students of the Word of God. I believe with all of my heart, and I really do believe this, that if we're going to be, for lack of a better word, if we're going to be successful as Christians, we're going to be students of the Word of God. I think if we're going to be Christians, we're going to be students of the Word of God. I think the problem with modern Christianity is it lacks the Word of God. There's a few choice verses. There's a few favorite phrases. There's a couple of favorite morals. But overall, modern Christianity does not know this book. But growing in the Lord, developing a relationship with the Lord comes from Knowing this book. I mentioned George Mueller a couple of times lately. I like reading after the great men of God. George Mueller read the Bible through. They said that in his lifetime he read it through over 200 times. Most of those times he read it through on his knees. So he would read the Bible on his knees, read it through over 200 times. George Mueller was, had gotten up in years. His eyesight was poor. He was not able to to do much anymore, and they asked him, they said, if you, could, if you could do anything, what is it that you'd want to do? And he said, I just wish I could read the Bible some more. Just wish I could get back in that book and continue to read the Word of God. I'm telling you what, if we want to be servants of the Lord, we need to be students of His Word. So I pray, I pray uh, that the Lord use this uh, series as we look at this, that the Lord use it to challenge us there's plenty of media out there, whether it be the television, the newspaper, or social media, or the radio. There's plenty of things to take up our time and occupy us. I'm telling you what, we would do us well to put it aside and dig in to the Word of God. It would do us well. So hopefully, that's it.